Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, good morning. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm blessed to be here today and to be able to, uh, to bring a word from the Lord. You know, apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, nothing is impossible. So welcome to the incredible, crazy dynamic that we live in, right? Um, no righteousness in and of ourselves, but filled and overflowing with righteousness is a free gift. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Uh, the way it works, it's, it's, it's not normal human thinking, uh, what God has done. And so uh, the, the message today... Um, I originally was calling it Abraham, our father, to be safe, but I really wanted to call it the Gentile roots of Abraham because, uh, you know, we talk a lot, a lot about Hebrew roots and, you know, maybe you have some generations somewhere in your past, uh, like me as well, where somebody was a follower of the Torah, but they maybe discovered Yeshua and then abandoned Torah and next thing you know, they're part of some high church somewhere in history and you know, and they're doing everything they know to do to follow Yeshua, the lamb, wherever he goes. But in the midst of it, some things got left behind that were not meant to be left behind, correct? Kind of reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. Certain things were forgotten that should not have been forgotten. And, um, and so God, amazingly, as he moves through history, is pulling everything back into himself, uh, it's amazing how God utilizes human beings to accomplish his will. And yet the glory does not go to the human beings. It comes back to him. From him, through him, to him are all things, correct? And so um, anyways, as we uh, uh, approached this message, I, I just went with the, uh, the Torah portion for this week, which is Lech uh, Lecha. But, uh, you know, basically, it's a moveon.org from God, right? He's basically uh, coming to Abraham and saying, it's time. Let's get up and let's go. But as I began to do my background searching in this, you know, what was meant to be just a little review reading of, of chapter 11 to kind of, you know, put me in the right frame of res- reference, I just, I just was marveling at things. And, you know... It's like, you know, Moses looked on the mountain and there's like a bush that's not burning, you know, and let's turn aside and go through this thing. So like two hours later, I'm finishing with chapter 11 and I'm thinking, man, I just have been lost in something here. But it was, um, you know, it was wonderful to me. Um, You know, our journey in the Lord has moments of incredible strength. You know, like the songs we're singing, when we're in his presence, that's where we are strong. You know, I think that's why sometimes we come to this congregation and you're not supposed to forsake the congregating together because the spirit of the Lord that's in different ones, it's like coals. When you put them together, they heat each other up, right? You know, if they're all isolated, they get cold and die out and... You know, we need that encouragement is strong because sometimes we walk forward in weakness. It is weakness. You know, we're not necessarily feeling his presence, you know, on 
Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. or something, you know what I mean? Uh, after you just got out of the business meeting where it was bad news, you know what I mean? Or you've received a declaration of, of health from you know, a doctor or something somewhere and it's not what you wanted to hear. And there you are, son of the most high, daughter of the most high. But in this domain, things are speaking against you. It's the moment of weakness. And so um, I see Abraham or Abram as he was at this point in time in that place. Interesting, if you go to that first slide, I just have a little bit of a map I pulled off of the internet there, um, which was just, you know, so you can see the journey from Ur of the Chaldees up to Haran. Interesting, Haran is the name of the son of one of... uh, uh, Abraham's brothers uh, who died and, uh, and then down into you know the land of Canaan over to Egypt and you know we've, we've heard some of the Torah portion readings today which is nice so we're just going to pull some of that together but you know this is the journey and uh, it's interesting as you you know you move into chapter 11 and you can go to the next slide if you'd like um, you know this whole scripture change from you know you, you have 11 chapters from the dawn of time till here. Uh, That's not that much, is it? I mean, 11 chapters, this is where we get to. We've already gone through Noah. We've gone through Adam, Eve, all this stuff. 11 chapters is very short, in my opinion. And basically, I kind of think of it as like, you know, God's trying to get to the point. He's moving through, you know, big cosmic world, sin, you know, all this, you know. People got so treacherous, he wipes out everything. Do you know, it's really interesting too. I would say, I have heard that as an accusation against God more in the last five years than I ever had before. Do you know, atheists are saying, hey, God, if he exists, he's a genocidal maniac. He wiped out everybody. Do you actually believe that? And I say, you know, you ought to take some lessons from that. You don't just get to do what you want on his planet. Do you understand that? They do not want that. But I'll tell you, it's an accusation against God. Right now, all over your TikToks and everywhere else, they are out there trying to convince your children, if you do believe in this God, he is crazy. You know, isn't that the accusation of Hasetan? So there's a lot going on in these 11 chapters, but it's only 11 chapters of all of this stuff of the Bible because God is getting through to a point. And he goes from talking about the nations being, you know, divided and the Tower of Babel where they come together and we're going to take God on and we're going to have our own identity and, you know, this wiping out by water a little too much for us, you know. And and they're standing, you know, toe-to-toe, but 11, chapter 11 of Genesis starts to come through the genealogy of Shem, you know? You know, and somehow Shem has a, uh, a history of godliness in it. And, you know, this is the points I'm gonna make today. You know, um, whoops, uh, previous uh, slide. So God's focusing on the nations, the Tower of Babel, arrogance, judgment, division across the whole earth. But, um, but he's moving down from the, the, the global situation, 
the earth into a single family. And um, yeah, now you can go to the next one. And I just want to say, you know, Terah, a son of Nahor, has his three sons uh, starting at age 70. Abram, and I say Abraham, it doesn't seem to me to be the firstborn, but he's listed first, but Shem is listed first as places as well, and he's not the firstborn. But um, Nahor, Haran, while living in Ur, they take wives. Abram takes Sarai, who is barren. Haran marries and has a son named Lot. Haran dies in Ur, leaving Lot fatherless to live with his grandpa Terah and uncle Abraham as his nuclear family, which, um, you know, I just think it's important to emphasize when, when you see the way I'm reading this, and, and I, it's, it's a, you know, Lot lost his dad, and his grandpa, Tara, you know, has another son, Abram, and so he's like adopted family. So when you see Abram taking Lot with him, it makes sense. I mean, could you imagine your brother dies, and here's his one son, or you know, and so forth, and you bring him into the family. So he was family. You get the deal. It's not just a, a distant, you know, nephew. It was tight. Um, but if you go to the next slide, Terah takes Abram and Lot and his family, minus Nahor, one of the sons, sets out for the land of Canaan. He journeys up the Euphrates as far as Haran. They stop and settle there until Terah's death. I thought this was interesting because I know there's some mention in Acts chapter seven and we'll get to that, but this is Terah leading the family. Terah's leading the family from Ur to Haran. He's taking, doesn't it say? It's a, he takes uh, Abram and Lot and so forth and he goes. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing because I, I, when I was reading, I was thinking, you know, Terah must have had some sort of revelation as well, whether it came from Abram, because God spoke to Abram there, and that's where we'll talk in a minute. But, but Terah's leading the family to get to Canaan. And this is what I wanted to say. How many of you came from a family where your father and mother had the revelation to follow God? Maybe not the way you've come to discover them, but they were like, we need to get to God most high. Whatever that was, you know, could have been a cult for all that matters, but there was something that was like it was in them. And I, when I was reading this and I felt like, you know, whatever the situation with Terah, because I've heard this taught like Abraham totally disobeyed God, took his father with him because he felt bad. I mean, I've heard these different messages, but I looked at it and thought, you know, this patriarch, Terah, who was the father of Abram, went with him and brought Lot and they were headed to get to Canaan. And the interesting thing is, where were they going? And I know the word of the Lord comes to Abram, you know, in chapter 12. That's how it starts. And if you, um, I should stay with my notes. <laughs> so, um, Terah dies at 205 years old, but he was a patriarch who initially headed to Canaan with his family Abraham, as far as the Torah tells us, had not been directly spoken to by God. Uh, there is a mention in Acts 7 that we'll talk about in a little bit. But if you go to the next slide, this is the kind of thing I wanted to have some questions. And really, my goal is this. I want to draw you into the life of Abraham. 
He is your father, is he not? Whether Gentile or Jew, Abraham is our father, correct? Do the promises of Abraham, are they yours? Then this is your heritage, correct? So I wanna draw you in. What is your complicated and even tragic story, your backstory? You know, Terah is leaving Ur. Haran is dead. That's Abram's brother died. And depending on how you see that happening, there's different ones that have different expressions of all that. But the Torah doesn't give us the detail. You know, there's a death in the family and they want to get to Canaan. And I, 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 I think about that because I think, what is in Canaan? What does it that they think is in Canaan that they want to get to? You know, if you read chapter 12, God doesn't tell him where he's going. He just tells him to go to a land I'm showing you, right? He doesn't give him all the detail right up front. It's not like a GPS where you had everything you were going to do. He had to follow what the, what the Lord said to him. And interestingly, I think God is using all of our backstories. I think each one of you has a backstory. Maybe it's tragic, but something inside of you knew that if I can get to his presence, it will be okay. And I think that that's what's going on. That's my secret belief. And, uh, and I'll, I have my reasons why in the Torah why, but they want to get to Canaan for a reason. And it's not just because the land is nice, you know? So what godly vision did one of your forefathers or mothers have that has fallen to you? And maybe they settled. Maybe they moved along like Haran. You know, it's clear Terra settled in Haran. They stayed there. Now there's some debate about, well, how old, you know, was uh, Terra when Abraham was born? Because obviously Abraham's 75 when he heads out of Terra, uh, uh, out of Haran. You know, that's a pretty old guy, isn't it? I mean, his brother who died, Haran, had his son Lot at age 29. Abram's 75, you know, but it's interesting because, um, you know, Terah's 205, and if you do a little bit of the math here, these people had children when they were older, especially uh, Terah, if you, depending how you, you look at that. But um, so uh, did they tire did they get rejected? Why Haran? Why did Haran become a settling point? Haran's actually the name of the son who died. So I kind of think, you know, did, he, did grief overwhelm Terah? Maybe. Entangled, perhaps discouraged, even settled down, just quitting the journey. Have you had family members that did the same thing? Like, hey, we're not going to keep pursuing the lamb whithersoever he goes. We're very comfortable with this structure, and we're just staying here. And this is safe. For us you know cities are safe aren't they you know you kind of got people and protection and so forth and I will say you know the interesting thing is that you know Abram is here too and he has been settled in Haran for a long time and the question I really have for you is are you settled is the journey done have you made it this far and you're like man this far is good enough for me 
And I will just tell you, you know, our, our, I know my parents, and I had, I had very awesome parents. My parents were like Baptocostals, you know, <laughs> that got involved in the Messianic movement when I had no revelation about it whatsoever. I mean, they were going to the MJAA Messiah Conference, and I was like, what are you going to? You know, and I'm like, you know, if you're trying to rebuild righteousness, you know, you already declared bankruptcy before. Are you trying to rebuild righteousness? Like honoring the Torah is like obeying your way into the kingdom, isn't it? Like we don't do that. It doesn't work that way. You know, and my parents were doing that when I was, you know, not doing that. You know, so I had godly parents that kept the journey. I mean, they got kicked out of one congregation because they believed in the gifts of the spirit and they were elders on staff. Dad was on the board. Mom led multiple, my mom is 82, still leads multiple Bible studies and leads worship from a guitar at 82. So I've got a, I've got a shundala, shundala, mother in Israel, you know? You know, when the neighbor's dog got hit by a car, was laying in a ditch, they came and got my mom to pray it back to life and it did. So it, you know, we had that kind of stuff. So I didn't grow up in an ungodly house. I grew up in a house that the word of the Lord met something and so did the scriptures and, you know, but you know what? I have to take and can I just be settled or do I have to walk in the light that God shows me? You know, the reformation has continued, you know, uh, and I know there's problems with the reformation as well. We are all part of a story that is complex, convoluted, and yet the word of the Lord calls to us in our generation and says, just like he did to Abram, get up and go because I've got something for you. Isn't that exciting? And so now let me say this. You are bringing the heritage and legacy of all who have lived before you. All of their hope for fullness is landed in you in this generation. You, their promise will not be fulfilled apart from you entering into the promise. That's the one thing about the story of Abram that I just am like depressed reading it because it's like he is not going to inherit that land in his day. With all of the promise, it's going to be, and then even the Lord gives him like 400 years, they're going to be enslaved, but I'm going to bring him out. And it's like, you know, like that's good news and not so good news all at the same time, right? You know, how many of you know that? Because I want to speak to you and I want to say your life matters. In this day and age, through the sands of time, it has fallen to you in this generation. And your job is to get up and to go where he is leading you. Uh, next slide. Um, can you go to the, uh, the next? Yeah, that's good for a second. So he's, he's moving out of Haran. And this is what the Lord says to him in Genesis 12. So now the, word, now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great 
And it goes on, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And, um, you know, the Lord says to the land that I will show you. So he goes to Canaan, but the Lord didn't say go to the land of Canaan. He said, go to the land and I'm going to show you the land. So he's wandering thinking, well, maybe this is it. You know, any guys ever look for a house and you're like, Lord, send me to the place that's for us. And you're looking and you're like, yeah, I just don't think this is it, you know? And it's like, where is that place that the Lord has geography for you? So, you know, Abram's doing his thing, but I do think it's interesting. He's 75 years old when he leaves Iran and Terah is 205. He just died. Well, you do the math. How old was Terah when he had Abraham or Abram? 130 years old. So like I said, having children in late in life is part of this family's thing, you know? So I just want to mention that because it's kind of interesting to me. But um, now I will say this in, in Acts chapter 7, and I don't know if you guys have that one up there. Um, you know, this is just Stephen when he was being stoned and was, you know, kind of really prophesying and preaching. You know, and Stephen said, listen to me, brothers and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Iran. And he said to him, go from your country and your relatives, come to the land which I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which we, you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he had no child. So if Stephen is speaking under the Holy Spirit, we know that Abraham did get some revelation in Ur of the Chaldees when he was there in Mesopotamia. But it's interesting to me that Terah led the family. You know, I mean, have any of you ever had one of your children come to you with a revelation? Any of you had an anointed child in the house that basically says, you know what, I really feel like this is important? All I can read into it is, is that Abraham, I mean, Abram must have shared some of the revelation. If he got it in Mesopotamia before he went to Haran, he must have shared it with Terah, and Terah got the family and moved. I mean, that's my best reading of it, and I know there's debate over the whole thing, but what I see is God works in families, but ultimately every individual has to follow their calling. If the family won't go, you got to go anyways. And that's where the whole statement about you got to love me more than father, mother, you know, sister, brother, all that stuff. And so it looks, um, and I just am rounding out my statements, you know, with scripture to say, there's something going on in this family and they want to get to Canaan. Um, but I think it's interesting because there's no mention of the word Canaan uh, from the Lord to Abram and yet Terah wants to move his family to Canaan. So I think the father has got something here. I don't think he's, I don't think he's quite, uh, you know, apostate Gentile, you know. I think 
he's sensing something. And, um, you know, anyway. So the question is, is and, and you can go a couple of slides forward. Do you hear the voice of God Almighty yourself? Can you hear him? And that is a question. And some could say yes, and others would say, I really don't. And that's why reading scripture is so powerful as you begin to tune yourself to him. You know, any of you mothers or fathers in the room, you know, if your child is speaking in a group of people, you hear their voice because you know their voice. The beautiful thing about studying scripture is that you begin to hear the voice of God as it has been given to our, our forefathers. And then you can hear the voice of God because you've been tuned to the voice of God. You know, if God tells you, hey, you know, I want you to divorce your wife, go take this woman and go set up a prostitution ring, you know what? You can pretty confidently say that's not the voice of God, right? Because you've done your homework. But I will tell you, there are many people in our day that spiritualism has become a, a, a replacement of, of knowing the voice of God. People hear crazy things and they attribute it to God. You know, like the ones who said, let's go kill all the Jews and take Jerusalem back at the time of the Crusades. Was that the voice of God? It was not. And you know, I was on the phone with a Jewish friend of mine the other day and he said, you know, if Yeshua really is the Messiah, I've got a problem with him that his people all killed our people and he didn't tell him to stop. That's a, that's a friend of mine, Ronan Brown from Israel, lives in Las Vegas. And I thought, you know what? People do stupid things and say it's God telling them. You know, and he has to turn around and deal with his own life too, which is like, well, what are you doing that you think you're attributing to God, but you're not listening to what he's saying either, you know? And so, listen, we are all sinful and we all fall short of the glory of God. So as much as we're up here and, you know, I'm the guy speaking today, there's no righteousness in me apart from his free gift that works in my soul and starts to overflow so that I can walk in righteousness not as a, uh, a source in and of myself. If we come to believe that, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna fall because that pride will make you susceptible to falling. And then you'll go back. You know, I remember this song when I was a kid, take another lap around Mount Sinai. You guys remember that song? Take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson, <laughs> till you stop your whining and you quit your rebelling, till you learn to stand in the day of testing by trusting and obeying the Lord. You know, sometimes that's our life. It's like, oh man, take another lap, you know? But, um, you know, in this story, the question I wanna ask you too is, what has God spoken to you personally? Do you need to get up and get yourself going? Do you need to move on.org? Are you still mourning something? Like Tara was mourning the, lo the loss of Haran. That's my guess with the name of the city being called Haran and he stays there. There's maybe a message in that. How about you? Did somebody die? Did you go through a divorce? Somebody betray you? Was it in your own household? I mean, I tell you, I was a youth minister for a period of time. A good third of the kids in my youth group were sexually molested, both boys and girls. 
typically by a friend of their parents, some by ministers. I had caught an elder of the church, the guy who was probably the most spiritually gifted, and he was pedophiling on three of the boys that were in my youth group. And I had to turn him into the police. And he took one of the boys and flew off to Thailand for like a month, finally came back, and they arrested him when he returned. I've had some pretty nasty experiences, you know? But are you still mourning or are you stuck in the disappointments of human flesh that disappointed or hurt you? Is it time to get up and get out? Go forth. Move on. Move on. So that he can bring you into the land of his promise, you know? Sometimes it's with pain and hurt, you know? I think that's true of all of us, Gentile or Jew. There's pain, you know? We've betrayed each other. We've done terrible things, thinking we were obeying God. I mean, but you have to take personal responsibility and say, okay, that wasn't obeying God. We really missed it on that one, right? You know, Martin Luther, we think justification by faith. We're going to talk about it. Awesome. You went too far. Sorry, pal. You really screwed up. You know, it's true. It's so, I mean, it's really incredibly embarrassing if we understood ourselves to be righteous in and of ourselves generationally. It's just not true, is it? We have fumbled forward in the grace of God. And, you know, by God's grace, let us forgive one another, knowing that God in Yeshua, our Mashiach, has forgiven us. Because we've got places to go, and it's time to get up and get going. So, um, so if you move forward on the slides, after completing the task, so Abraham actually, or Abram, sorry, I have to go back and forth, Abram, uh, gets himself down into Canaan, kind of plants himself between Ai and, what was the other one? Um, and, and basically he builds an altar there and he, he worships the Lord. And I'm, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite were in the land. <laughs> I don't know, somehow that just seems depressing to me. Now the Canaanite were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I'll give the land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of Hashem. Abraham journeyed on, continued toward the Negev. And the couple of questions, um, and I'm two slides ahead. Have you completed the task God has given you? Did you do the, the last thing he said? Sometimes it's like, man, we want the end from the beginning before we move out. And we're so used to GPSs where it's like, man, you know exactly what street you're going to turn on when you get there. In the old days, it wasn't so, right? It was like, well, we're heading to Buffalo, New York. Okay, I'll get there. These big roads have no idea what I'm going to do when I get into town because I'm going to need a different map. It's a detailed map of that area. This is really what's going on. Abram's been given a command by God. He's gotten up and he's done it. He went, he set up a, an altar, you know, 
Was it not what you expected when God gave you the last thing he gave you? Were there Canaanites in your land of promise? You know, it's like, well, Lord told me to come do this or to even begin a ministry. I, I sense there's people in here that started a ministry and man, it did not go the way you thought it would, you know? And the question is, you know, did Adonai appear to you and perhaps reinforce and even expand his promise? Because I think this is quite interesting is, you know, after Abram goes through these things, he goes on to say, um, you know, that your descendants are going to inherit. inherit. Um, do you see yourself generationally? Do you understand that promises were given to forefathers that, like I said earlier, it's not going to happen apart from you? And let me say this as well. Some of your promises are for you and your descendants. I mean, we do not think like that in this microwave culture of ours, right? It's like, well, it's about me. What am I gonna do? And it's like, oh no, what if God is still speaking to this generation and saying, hey guys, it's actually not about you. It's not just yet. It's gonna be another 40 years or something. And it's like, you're all just part of preparation, you know? You know, the 144,000 isn't in your day. It's still to come. What if that was the case? And your job is to raise young Israelites that love God and are faithful and true that God can pick and choose from at some point in the future. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, but that's not how we tend to think. We tend to think it's all about us. You know, it's, our, our, it's ours. And I just think it's quite interesting as I'm lead, reading through Abram here that it's like, man, this is exciting and depressing all at the same time to me. Um, because he's, he is saying it's gonna be your family. He doesn't, I mean, it's so interesting too, even the next little section, uh, Genesis 12, there's a famine and um, uh, Abram heads to Egypt. Now his promise are for his descendants to inherit. And he, he goes to Egypt and, you know, he decides he's gonna have his wife called his sister, which technically he could get away with that, you know. Have you ever told technical truths that aren't real truths, but they're technical truths, you know? So Abram's down there and he's saying, this is my sister and the Pharaoh of Egypt takes her into his house and he's treating Abraham wonderfully because he's totally attracted to Abraham's wife. I mean, this is like soap opera stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is Abram, our father, you know? And then it happens to Isaac as well. So the sins of the fathers, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it, this is really interesting stuff, but he's down there. And you know what my thought was? Abram's gotta be freaking out to some degree because it's like he's supposed to have descendants that are gonna inherit all this and the Pharaoh has just taken his wife. I mean, that looks like that promise is going up in smoke, right? You know? I mean, and he brings her into his house. You know, and honestly, I'm like, man, Abram, you are a bit of a coward here, at least to me, when I look at it. I'd be over there like, hey, man, I don't care who you are. You're not touching my wife, you know? But that's not what he did. And in the end, God rebukes the Pharaoh in his household, gets a curse, and they send her back and leave Abram with everything they've given him and send him out. So I suppose, you know, he didn't have to be the macho guy because he has a macho God that was like, hey, don't mess with my servant's wife or none of your house is gonna give birth and there's a curse that's sitting on your entire kingdom. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? 
Can you imagine God rebuking kings because they dishonored you? And, and listen, we've kind of got to give it to Abram that he felt like this king was totally manipulating and intimidating him with his power so he could take his wife. So there was something going on, you know? But I just want you to see, this is our father. It's not the clean, squeaky, nice story, is it? You know, it's crazy. And so, um, and I'm moving through that. I'm doing a little bit of a drive-through on this because I am actually getting to one key statement in, in uh, this parasha. And so, I, but I would say this, does, does fear drive you from your promised land? You know, was Abram supposed to go? We don't know, but he did go because of the famine. But ultimately, when God gives him his promise of his land, he tells him that he's gonna give him all the way from the Euphrates River, which he with Terah walked up that whole side of that river to get up to Haran, and he's gonna give him all the way over to the great river in Egypt, which is where he went. So every place his foot trod, God was giving it to him as an inheritance for him and his people. So does your most precious and providential gift from God cause a threat to your life? That was the other one. You know, Sarah is, is, Sarai is quite amazing looking from what we understand. You know, if the king is gonna do all of this, she must have been very, very beautiful and attractive. But that caused a severe threat to Abram's life. And this is the other thing I would say is what is that promise for you? Because his promise was descendants, which involved Sarah or Sarai. What about your promise? How does that bring threat to your life? Do you ever open your mouth and do the thing that God told you to do and then you're in trouble for it? Do you ever let your light shine, whatever that gift is, and it causes trouble for you? So you hide it or you lie about it, you know? You know, I think, I mean, in our day, and it's just started in the last few weeks, I don't know if you're an alternative media person, but the whole attack on, um, there's a real anti-Semitism that's just rising right now, you know, with uh, some of the political figures that have come out and, you know, it's all about the Jews who control all the media and everything and how evil they are and all this kind of thing. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I know that... Uh, um, Dennis Prager got on and said something about it recently because it's, a, it's like a resurgence of anti-Semitism that came from Kanye uh, recently in some statements that, you know. Um, but this is the thing I want to say. In your day, oh, house of Israel, are you going to stand up for your brothers? You're going to say, oh, no, I'm, I'm a Torah Zion guy too. So if you got something to say, let's talk. No, I don't own any banks and I'm not controlling any, you know, economies somewhere, you know. So it may be a nice little story to tell. And, and the other thing that I would say too is if you show me somebody who's claiming to be a Jew, but they have no faith in Hashem, I would say they were a Jew. Maybe they were raised in a Jewish home. But let me say that it is not just a natural birth identity as well. And I know that's not popular, but I don't care because God said 
if you don't honor these, you'd be cut off from your people. There is a requirement, if you want to carry that name through history, that you honor the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You understand? And so if you want to say you're an atheist Jew, I would say, well, maybe you were raised Jewish. Maybe you have some Jewish DNA, you know. You know, I can't remember his name. Who was the guy that got folded up in the wilderness as the earth opened and closed him back up? He was Jewish, you know, DNA, you know. So, oh, you're like him. Because let me tell you, it is to the promise that inherits. The promised seed inherits. And so, you know what? Have that discussion. That'll change the whole meeting, you know. But what I'm saying is, God, you will need to be bold in this generation. And even me saying that, I know I'll get a hard time, you know. But the reality is God's word is true, right? We have a job to be faithful to it. Doesn't mean we don't love everyone. We want everybody to return to him. But at the end of the day, do you hide your faith under a bushel? Do you hide what the scriptures say under the bushel? Because it's not popular. It puts your life at threat. Someone might say, we don't like you anymore. You might get canceled from Facebook. You understand, this is our day. I mean, we laugh about it, but it's the beginning, right? I'm telling you, we are in a day that is, is big and it's fallen to us in our day. Lord, help us to be faithful. And um, uh, I'm jumping forward. If you jump forward to the next map and then go forward uh, from that, I just want to mention this. Where's my time? I don't see a time. Oh, there it is. Okay. I just want to mention, you know, so Abraham, Abraham comes back from Egypt and Lot and his, you know, gang, they're not getting along, you know, Abram says, listen, you go left, I'll go right. You go east, I'll go west. And Abram takes, I mean, Lot takes what looks like the good land, you know, and it's out where Sodom and Gomorrah and all the different kings that have settled, you know, in the area are, and he goes that direction. But as soon as he goes, God basically says to him, yeah, just look around because it's all being given to you and your descendants. You know, Lot can choose whatever he is, he's choosing and that's okay. And I wanted you to know that too. If you've ever been in a situation where you were creating peace with the one that traveled with you and you said, hey, listen, you choose whatever portion and I'll take the other. You can do that because God is beyond their choices. God is beyond, in some ways, your choice. This was a sovereign thing. He was saying, it, it, don't worry about it. Look east, look west. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. You know, and you know, a little bit later, we read it today, Lot gets taken by the kings that conquered Sodom and all these things and taken off. And Abram takes his army in his house, which is kind of cool, you know. And he goes and he rescues not only Lot, but, you know, the king of Sodom is all excited and so forth. You know, I mean, I think that's quite remarkable. You know, you could see how you could be hurt by that. You could say, you know, Lot, you know, I give him the choice. He takes the best land. He's, he's doing these things. But Abram loves this boy. 
You know, I don't know what the age difference was. I kind of wonder if they were closer to brothers than they were, you know, older uncle, younger, based on the ages of things. But, but I know that, that Abram loved a lot and he took his household and he rescued him and he brought him back because he loved him. And I would say for some of you, you have loved somebody that betrayed you, took the other's thing, left, wanted their big portion, but you still love them because I think that's the heart of God is to love them. It might've been a child, could have been a spouse, could have been a brother, a sister, or, you know, even a parent. You know, people do crazy, selfish stuff, you know? But when we know that our inheritance is in God, we're okay to love and forgive and bless and move on. And so... Um, I am going to uh, move forward into just Genesis 14. If you go to the slide for Genesis 14, 18 through 24, I wanted to hit the Melchizedek thing a little stronger. Um, it, it, it was mentioned and read in the parashah, but I actually think this is why Canaan is where they wanted to be. I think, I think there was a rumbling and a hearing that there was a priest of the Most High God still in Canaan. This is my belief. Where were they going? They wanted this guy. He wanted to meet him. Because if I read the story right, you know, after conquering these kings and bringing everything back and all the wealth and so forth, and Sodom's like, King of Sodom's like, hey, keep all the wealth, just give me the people. He's like, no, I'm not touching anything, lest somehow you... Pretend that you gave me wealth. And yet, he meets this, this Melchizedek or Melech Tzadik of Salam and brought out bread and wine. Now, he was a priest of the Most High God and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of the heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom and said, well, give me, you know, he goes on to say, just give me the people and so forth. Um, I guess the next slide, I will read it. Uh, and keep the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've sworn to the Lord most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I'll not take a thread or a sandal throng of anything that is yours. For fear, you would say that I made Abram rich. I will not take nothing. Uh, well, I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and a share of the men who went with me because he had some others that went with him. They can have their share. But it says that he paid tithes to Melchizedek. So what was he tithing? It wasn't the spoils of the war because he didn't take it, right? He said, I don't want to take anything. I actually think that this is why they were trying to get there. This is what Canaan is so special about. There's this Melech Tzadik, this righteous king who's a priest of the Most High God. And he meets him and it's like this special thing and he gives him his tithes. I don't know how long he'd been saving tithes for, but he paid this man a lot. And, you know, Abraham was very wealthy and he's paying tithe to this guy. And this, this, this man, I mean, I don't know, the, the tradition is, is even the blessing we say over bread and wine comes from this patriarch, this person who the Torah gives us no history of him and so forth. Some say it's Shem, um, but we know the Torah doesn't really give us the information. But I wanted to make this point is that I believe this was why Terah and why God told him to get up and go. I think he wanted to connect Abram to God most high. And, and there was somewhat of a union here that was quite unique. 
because Abraham identifies with this man that your God is my God and he gives him the tithe, you know? And if you go in the New, 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 New Testament, Brit Hadashah, the apostolic writings, you know, it's clear Abram's paying tithes and, you know, Levi is paying tithes and all the ones in his loins are paying tithes. And, and there's this dynamic that this was a significant thing. And um, you know, I just want to encourage you to. I, I, I mean, tithing is a is a biblical principle. And I had a friend once tell me, "Yeah, tithing goes right back to uh, pretty much Sabbath." And I'm like, "Well, Sabbath's like in the beginning of Genesis. God's resting." And he said, "Yeah, but he had two trees, and one was for him." That was his tithe. Don't touch my tree. That one's mine. You know, God says the tithe is his too. Don't touch it. And I would say there is something valid about tithing to the priests of the Lord. And now, I mean, in this day and age, you know, it's, you know, finding the right people that are truly priests to the Lord. But, but, but tithing nonetheless is important. And, um, you know, I think to, to not do it is to bring the wrong things into your life. It's not fulfilling all righteousness, in my opinion. So I just want to encourage you, if you're not doing that, please do that. That is right here, our father Abraham, who has not been circumcised, is paying tithes, right? You know, so there you go. So anyways, so... Now we're in Genesis 15, and this is really where I'm ending what I'm talking about today. Um, if you want to move forward to the Genesis 15, 1 through 7 scripture. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Next uh, slide. And Abram said, since you have given, given no offspring one, um, to me, one, um, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside had him look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give this land to possess it. Now, <clears throat> there's, there's a statement in this passage. Up until now, Abram is following God. He's hearing and he's walking and following. But there is no mention that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness until this chapter. This is it right here. This is where the father of nations, this is where it occurs. And I want to point something out. And I, 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 I hadn't seen this and uh, I just had an inclination and it turned out to be true. But if you notice the beginning of this section, it says this, after these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Abram. Up until then, he's hearing, he's doing things, but it does not say, this is the first mention of that phrase in the entire scriptures. Something was different in this one. Have you ever walked feeling like you're following the Lord, but have you ever had the word of the Lord come into you and fill you? And suddenly, you're not a man. You're a man with the spirit of God in you, the word of the Lord. Who is the word of the Lord? Yeshua. The word of the Lord came to him. Do you know that's the first mention of the word of the Lord ever coming to anyone? That phrase, first mention. And it changed everything. And let me say, Abram had a response. It was like, but Lord, you know, I got Eliezer who's born in my house, but I have no descendants still. Your promise was for descendants. I mean, it's an interesting response, you know? Some would say it's a very Jewish response to God. You know, like, okay, I, I, I get it, man. I'm excited too, but, you know, here. And you know what it says? It says it again. It says it again. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir. You know, sometimes we hear things and it just doesn't change. Our hearts still doubt. We still look and say, I get it. I mean, like I'm in. I've still got no descendant, you know? But it says, behold. I mean, let me say, the behold is a big deal. It's saying, nevertheless, here I come. Bam! He will not be the one who inherits. One from your own body will be it. And Abraham's like, looking into the sky and he's hearing all this and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna believe, it's gonna happen. I don't know how, but I, the word of the Lord gave him something that he didn't have apart from the word of the Lord coming to him. And I will say this to you because I, listen, I'm living this stuff right now. There's various battles I'm dealing with in my life and I'm just a man and I can read promises and study scripture and you know, grew up with a mom that was, singing how my dad was going to be healed of his kidney stones and some sing-song ring rhyme thing that the Lord was going to heal him because that's just what my mom would do until my dad did get healed, you know? I, I told you, I grew up in a house. But you know what? When it's your own wife, when it's your own body, or it's your own, the one that's close to you, all of those far-off stories seem far off. But when the word of the Lord comes to you, it's no longer, hey, Tara was with me doing this. It was that the word of the Lord came to Abram. And I love the way he even started that thing. He's like, do not fear, Abram. Don't be afraid. I am a shield to you. And he's already shown him that he's a shield. I'm a shield to you. Your reward will be very great because I'm going to ensure that it happens. I'm going to bring you into the promise. 
And that's why the difference between dead works, where you're trying to obey so the promise comes, versus the word of the Lord brings the promise, and you find yourself just walking obedience because my father has it figured out. I will inherit because my father owns the planet. My father owns eternity. My father inherited, my father Abraham inherited, not because he was so amazing, but because the word of the Lord came to him and he brought him into the land. Now you do need to get up and get going. I mean, there is some action on our parts, but yours is the following action. Yours is the believing action. It is not the making it happen action. Does that make sense? And so I just am closing with that and would say, today, Father, let your word come to each and every one. The promises that you made to this one and that one and to their fathers or their great, 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 great grandfather somewhere or grandmother somewhere who trusted in you. They might have been a slave in a foreign land. They might have had a little belief somewhere, but you spoke to their heart and said, I'm going to do this through you. And they didn't know how, and they never saw it, but they wait in eternity as these ones enter into your promise. Because the word of the Lord will not return void. It will accomplish what it was sent to do. And so, Father, our dependence is on you. And we declare the goodness of our God in the land of the living. Amen.